Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you guys are doing great today. Um, while they're getting set up, I just want to talk to you about what is going on here at Core Church right now. So we are in the middle of our series, uh, Revived. I say in the middle uh, because we're in the second week of it, so uh, that's in the middle enough. Uh, Revived is our Lent series. Uh, Lent is a tradition that the church has been practicing just for hundreds of years, and it's just taking the 40 days before Easter and setting aside that time to prepare ourselves for Easter, just to kind of do some business with God and uh, get right with Him for Easter. And so as a part of that, we, we're just really, we want to participate in Lent and uh, do some things with us. So there's a couple of things I want to draw your attention to. There's some prayer cards in your uh, seats, and those prayer cards, we're just believing that um, God wants to do something in the lives of those you know that are far from God. And we know that that all starts with prayer. We talk about intercede, invest, invite here at Core Church an awful lot. Intercede is just a fancy Christian word for prayer. And so we believe it all starts with prayer. So what we want you to do with those prayer cards is we want you to take the, the names of people that you know that are far from God and uh, just write their first name on that card and then write your name at the bottom. And then we want you to take a picture of that card and set that as your lock screen or your wallpaper or just somewhere where you're going to interact with it a lot, where it's just going to come up. And then every time you see that, that you would pray for those people in your life you know that are far from God. You're going to be praying that God touches them. You're going to be praying that God gives you opportunities to speak into their life. And most of all, you're going to be praying that they're going to find their way to church this Easter. And so we want to partner with you in that prayer. So what we want you to do after you fill out the prayer card is simply to turn that into us so we can pray as a church with you as well. You can set those up at the altar after service. You can hand that into a prayer team member. You can drop those into the uh, next steps room. Any one of those ways, just make sure you get that turned into us so that we can begin to pray with you for miracles in the lives of those you know that are far from God. We also have open prayer on Wednesday night here at the church. Jen and I uh, just lead a time of worship, and it is just come and go type of prayer. You just come in. You can stay for five minutes. You can stay for the whole hour. But we just know it's a time that we want to set aside in the busyness of life and the busyness of our schedule. Set aside some time where we can just come and do some business with God, where we can get in front of Him, where we can open up the Bible, block out the noise, and let Him speak to us. And so that's happening every Wednesday night. It'll be happening this Wednesday as well. Well, like I said, we are in the middle of the Revived series. And during this series, we're looking at seven different resurrection stories. In the Bible, of course, Easter, we celebrate the greatest resurrection story, but we're looking at some other resurrection stories in the Bible as well, because we believe 2017 is going to be a year of revival for the people of Core Church. And I just love that term, revival, because I grew up in church, and I don't know about you, but when I hear the word revival, I just immediately think of some big sweaty guy, you know, with his tie that's too short. And um, every time he says a word, you know, he adds extra syllables on the end of that word, you know, so it's not revival, it's revival. You know, there's always the huh at the end of the words. I don't know why, that's just preacher talk. Apparently it's more anointed if you put huss at the end of the words, but we believe that this is going to be a year of revival. God's going to revive some dead things in your life, some dead things in my life, and I'm just super excited about it. So today we're going to be looking at one of those resurrection stories. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings is in the Old Testament. Uh, if you're need a Bible, by the way, you can just go to your app store, go to uh, Version. that's the Bible uh, app we all like to use around here, and I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation, uh, 2 Kings, uh, if you don't know where that is, that's immediately following 1 Kings, some of you got that, okay, 
2 Kings chapter 4. Um, so what's going on right here in this story is there is a woman in the town of Shunem. And this woman in Shunem um, would host Elisha, who was the prophet or the man of God to the people of Israel at this time. So Elisha would come through Shunem, and he would often stay with this uh, woman and her family. They were, they were well off. And so uh, one day the woman says, talks to her husband and says, hey, you know, Elisha comes through here a lot. Let's just build him a room. So they build an addition to their house, and they furnish it and have a space where Elisha can come and just kind of call that his very own when he walks through Shunem. Well, Elisha is blown away by this act of generosity that this woman from Shunem does for him. And so he tries to find out, what can I do to bless this woman? He asks around and says, is there anything I can do? And, you know, she says, no, we we have everything we need. They were were wealthy. And so he does some more digging, and his servant Gehazi finds out that they've never had a child. And so Elisha says, you know what, when I come back next time, uh, this this time next year, you're going to have a kid. And so we pick up the story right here in verse 17. It says, but sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at the time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. One day when her child was older, he went out to help his father, who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died. You ever feel like you don't understand God? Like, God, what in the world are you doing? So um, we've been, you know, uh, as part of the tradition of Lent is that you give something up or you fast something for Lent. And so I decided that I was going to do something. If you were here the last time I spoke, you know what this was. And um, I got to tell you this right up front. This, this fast has proven to be infinitely harder than I thought it was going to be. For those of you who don't know, I have taken the flip phone challenge. So I've given up my iPhone success, and now I have this bad boy right here. Oh, I have a text from my wife. Thanks, baby. I love you too. Um, so, you know, this, this is the flip phone challenge, which, which is, you know, it's, it's not awful. Um, I, I do have a camera on this thing. It's two megapixels, both of them. That's right. They huddle together for warmth. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's all good. I, I uh, you know, I, get, I still get text messages on it. Uh, the text messaging isn't great. For example, um, our lead guitar player who's not here today, the guy with the beard, Josh, we're dog-sitting his um, giant dog, Cowboy. And um, so I got a text from his wife today right before service. Uh, says, we forgot to ask you if you would. And that's the end of the text message because my phone like cuts off the text messages after like 10 characters. And then so it breaks them up into separate text messages. And I got the second half of the text messages. And it says, it when we P.I., and that's it. That's, that's what I have to go with. So, honey, if you could call Shauna after uh, service day, find out what in the world uh, it when PI means, that would be great. Um, so, but, you know, so the, the flip phone has that. But one thing I do love about it is, is, man, I can end a phone call with authority now. I mean, just bam, you know, sassy right there. You know, can your iPhone do this? I think not. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, the best thing was when I went to go get the iPhones, I had the kids with me. So I have an almost two-year-old, a four-year-old, and a six-year-old. My oldest, Olivia, she's very um, astute. Like, she knows what's up. And so well, we're going to Walmart, and I'm like, hey, honey, let's go. Daddy's going to get a new phone. And she's excited. Oh, Dad's getting a new phone, you know. And um, so we go in, we get, we get to the counter, and then she sees me get this. And she's like, Dad, what's this? 
And I'm like, well, honey, this, this is called a flip phone. This is what uh, phones used to look like. And, and she's like, well, what kind of games does it have on it? It doesn't have any games on it. Can I watch videos on it? No, you can't watch videos on it. And then, and then it's, she's putting them all together. She's like, wait, what's happening to the iPhone? <laughs> and I'm like, well, honey, we're going to be putting the iPhone away for, for a little bit. Um, for, for, you know, something called Lent. And I'm trying to explain this to her. And the whole time, like, she cannot get past, wait, what is happening? Well, it's not time out here, Dad. What is happening to the iPhone? I mean, let's, let's get serious here. And I'm like, honey, we're not going to have the iPhone. And she's just freaking out. She's like, she can't put it together. Like, why would you put the iPhone away? And what, what in the world are you doing with this, Dad? I mean, this, this is not right. This is not normal. And I'm like, I know, honey, I'm trying to explain it to her. I'm trying to have, like, this teachable pastoral moment with her right there at Walmart, and she's buying none of it, people. I mean, the, the poor lady behind the counter was like, man, what has this poor guy gotten himself into? It was just a mess. And so I think a lot of times we can feel like Olivia felt when it comes to God. God, you're doing what? God, you're going to make me give up what? God, you're taking what away? What in the world are you doing, God? This makes no sense. God, you're, you're asking me to forgive who? God, you want me to do what with my money? Uh, God, I'm sorry, you want, me to, you want me to do what with the little t- extra time that I have? God, you want me to stop watching what? God, that makes no sense. God, I don't understand what in the world you're doing. God, why are you asking me to give up the iPhone and go to a flip phone? God, you're making no sense here. And I think we have to acknowledge in our faith, for those of you that have been Christ followers for a while, is following God is very counterintuitive at times. It's not, it's not very user-friendly at times. You know, when you read through the Bible, you see that the whole Jesus thing is very upside down, that the first is the last, that the servant is greater than the master, that you go down to go up, that the whole thing is is really backwards, that, that you give to get, you know, and, and so following Jesus is very counterintuitive at times. It's very much like going from the iPhone where you can send a text that says, hey Siri, text so-and-so to this, where it's like, okay, you know, press 10 buttons, and then my goodness, you, if you've forgotten how to T9, I mean, my, wow, that is just, that is a refresher course in humility <laughs> right there. But I, I, think, I think the most confusing thing of all when it comes to our walk with God is when we do the right thing, when we're trying to make the right choices, when we're trying to make the right decisions, and things get worse. Man, that makes no sense, doesn't it? When you're trying to live right, when you're trying to do right, when you're trying to follow God, and instead of things getting better, things get worse. You want to talk about making no sense. You want to talk about a flip phone moment. That is just so confusing. When you say, I'm going to start giving, and the car breaks down. When you say, I'm going to start being more intentional with my time, and I want to spend more time with the kids, and all of a sudden the schedule fills up, and work makes you work late, and then you got 800 things going on at once, and you can't spend any time with them. Or when you say, you know, I'm going to get up early, and I'm going to start having my devotional time, my God time, and then the baby cries all night long. When you're trying to do the right thing and it gets worse, that, that is just one of the most confusing things in our faith walk. And I think it's because God doesn't operate on the same principles of goodness and fairness that we do and that we think we sh- he should. 
Because we think he should operate like this. God, if I do good, then good things should happen to me. God, if I do the right thing, then you should bless me. God, if I live right, then you should open up the doors for me and you should make things easier for me. God, I understand in my own mind, I understand with my ideas of fairness when I do wrong and I'm punished. I get that. But what I don't get, God, is when I do right and things get worse. God, shouldn't it be when I do right, things get better? And we have this idea, we want to put our ideas of goodness and our ideas of fairness on God. But the thing is, God doesn't operate. He doesn't play by those same rules that we do. And I don't think the American church has helped this cause very much at all because I think we have, uh, not we, core church, but the, the church, global church, can, can be real guilty of disproportionately emphasizing the blessings of God. That we put so much emphasis on the blessings of God. And we, we take scriptures like, you're the head, not the tail. You're more than a conqueror. You're blessed with a good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over. God knows the plans he has for you to prosper you, to give you a hope, to give you a future. And we take all of these things and we so emphasize them that when God doesn't make sense, it sends us into a tizzy. Because it's like, wait, God, you're not supposed to operate this way. Wait, God, you weren't supposed to do it this way. Wait, God, I thought you said I was this, and now I'm experiencing this. And we, then we either think God's, he's mean, or he's, he's flippant. We just begin to really, it just blows our mind. Like, Wait, God, you're not supposed to operate this way. And I think it's really dangerous when we start equating our earthly comfort to our spiritual condition. That if I'm healthy, wealthy, if I'm blessed, if I'm prosperous, if things are going well in my life, then I must be doing good with God. And when the inverse of that is true, when, when things aren't going God, then all of a sudden either God's mad at me or I'm doing something wrong, that we tie what's going on in our earthliness with what's going on in the spiritual realm. Because those things are not always related. So I, I think the problem is, is that we can, we can think our spiritual life, you know, yes, seriously, I have a whiteboard and everything. So, so we, we want our spiritual life to look, to look like this. Boom. Onward and upward, Jesus, straight up. We want, it, we want it to look like, you know, God, you bless me and I grow, you bless me and I grow. And this, this is how we think our spiritual life should look. But today we're going to look at this story because, oh, I forgot to grab the eraser. Today we are going to look at this story and see that this, this is not how God operates. And we, we, need to kind of, we need to get a different picture of what God's doing here. We're going to look at this story in 2 Kings, and it's going to give us some insights into how God operates. Because what do we do when, when our idea doesn't line up with the reality? What do we do in those moments when God doesn't make sense? What do we do in the moments when God hands you a flip phone? And you're like, wait, God, I, I, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't feel right, God. This, I don't understand why you're doing this. God, I don't understand why you're, you're leading me in this direction. And we're going to see that spiritual growth is not like that. But spiritual growth is more like this. And so we're going to look at what this process looks like here. And we're going to see it found in this story. And it's this really important rhythm that we're going to discover today found in this story here in 2 Kings. So the first part of this pattern we see is found in 2 Kings 4.17. Remember, um, Shuman woman builds the, the room for Elisha. Elisha wants to bless her. He says, uh, but sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. So the first stage of this process is right down here. And it is the process of birth. 
And birth is simply this idea of new beginnings. It's, it's new starts. It's uh, new things that happen. You know, for some of you, birth is um, a new faith. Man, you've recently become a Christ follower, and you've, you've started on this journey of following Christ. You've been born again, and so you've had a, a literal spiritual rebirth in your life. For some of you, birth is a, a new relationship, or maybe even a new marriage that you've, you've recently had. Man, God's blessing you, and you've got this new marriage and this new thing, and it's awesome. For some, it's a new baby. It's been a literal birth. There's a new baby, new job, a uh, new ministry that, that maybe you've started. Maybe it's chasing this new dream that you have about changing career fields, and so you want to go back to school. And there's birth, and at birth, it's an exciting time, and it's a, a time of newness and a time of new beginnings. And one thing that's interesting to know about the story with the Schumann woman is that the birth in her life was a result of obedience to God. Like, she obeyed God, she did the thing for Elisha, and so she was blessed because of that. And a lot of times, the birth in our life happens as a result of us taking a step of faith or us taking a step of obedience toward God. You're praying, God, I feel like you're leading me to go back to school. You start this process of birth. God, I feel like you're leading me to marry that woman or marry that person. You start this process of birth. God, I feel like you're leading me to change career fields. And so you start this process of birth all over again. And so there's a lot of different times in life that we're, we experience birth. It's not just a physical, literal birth. And then after birth, we see with the next stage here in 2 Kings 4, 18. So in the next verse, it says, One day her child was older. He went out to help his father, and he went out to help his father who was working with the harvesters. So after birth, we go up here, and we see a time of growth, which is the kind of this, this phase right through here. And, and this is a phase where you can imagine what the Shunyan woman was, was experiencing. So she's watching her son grow up in front of her, and all the things that her son represents at that time, it means she's going to be able to carry on the family business. It means they're going to have a legacy. It means they're going to be able to carry on the family name. She's watching. Just imagine her sitting on the front porch, just feeling proud, proud mama moment. You know, there's her boy, the boy she didn't think she was going to have, the boy she didn't even have the strength to ask God for anymore. And there, there it is. There's her blessing, and her boy's growing, and, and, and things are, and she's so full. All she can see the potential. She can see the promise of the, of the season she's in right now. She's envisioning grandkids running around. She's envisioning all kinds of great things in your life. And birth often leads to a time of growth. Man, you, you, in your faith, you, you birth, and, and then God's blessing you, and, and, and you're praying, and God's answering your prayers, and you open up the word of God, and, and God's speaking to you in his word, and you're just so excited about it. You're like, guys, did you know that it says in this Bible that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that if you believe in him, you won't perish but have everlasting life? Isn't that so cool? And it's like the word of God is just coming alive in you. Or maybe you're in your, your new marriage, and it's this time of growth, and you're just so over the moon in love. And it's like, I love you, honey. No, I love you more. No, I love you more, you know. Or, or you have that kid, and that kid is so cute, and everyone says that your kid is the cutest kid, and you know your kid is way cuter than everyone else's kid. Your kid, you know, you change your kid's diaper, and the diaper doesn't even smell because, the you know, the kid's so amazing. Or, you know, you start that new job, and, man, you know, the, the boss is a Christian, and they, they cater in Chick-fil-A on Fridays, and you know, and they have a matching 401k, and, you know, they said if I work really hard that I could maybe make partner in a few years, or, you know, that I could start my own branch, or whatever, whatever that looks like, and during this season, man, things are rocking and rolling, because during this season, God operates like we think he should, 
during this season, God operates like we think he should. I do good, and I get good. I do good, and I get good, and, and, and I'm blessed, and I'm, I'm growing. And man, it just, oh, man, God's so good. And it just, you know, you're walking on sunshine. Yeah, and it's just, you know, it, it's so good. But, but then something happens. But then something happens. You pray, and, and the prayer doesn't get answered. In fact, you pray, and the opposite thing happens. You, you, you start having fights in, in that marriage. And that thing that was really cute when you got together and you were dating, it, it's not so cute anymore. The kid that was so amazing, that was such an answer to prayer to you, won't stop crying. Or worse yet, they grow up and become teenagers. And all of a sudden, God doesn't make sense anymore. All of a sudden, the record scratches, and things start to go on a downhill slide. Things start to go in the opposite direction. And we see this happen to the Shunan woman in verse 19 and 20. Suddenly he, her son, cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died out of nowhere. What was filled with so much promise, what was filled with so much potential, what was filled with so much, look at what's going to happen. Look at how great this is going to be. All of, out of sudden, it ends. And it dies. In that moment, where is God? Where is God? God, why would you do this? God, why would you lead me on this process? God, why would you give me this son only to rip him away from me? God, why would you do this? God, why? I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. God, I was doing the right thing. God, I was trying to do the right thing. God, I was doing just what you told me to do. God, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I wasn't walking on this. And God, but then all of a sudden, God, you stop making sense. And I don't get it. And I don't get it. God, where are you? Why would you allow this to happen? God, why would you give this only to take it away from me? So, um, you may not know from looking at me, but I'm not from around here originally. Um, I, I was born in South Korea to um, some just poor country, country parents. And um, back then there was a, a serviceman who was in the Air Force. He was married to a little Korean lady, and they were unable to have kids. And they had heard from a friend of a friend of a friend that there was a baby boy that was just born that they weren't going to be able to care for. He said, would you be interested in adopting this child? So the serviceman and his Korean wife says, yes, absolutely, we'd love to. And so they adopt this little baby boy and bring him home to America. And then he grows up a little town in New Mexico and soon moves on to uh, live, in, live in some different places. And, and man, it's just a great life. He's got a family. He's got a dad who loves him. Dad that loved him so much, he would, he would bring his boy McDonald's for lunch just so he could spend some time with him and, and eat lunch with, with his boy. And, and they'd grow up and, and go do different things and uh, grew up and went to California and then moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and was still close as ever and, um, you know, watching his boy play basketball and realizing his boy wasn't super athletic, so... <laughs> But still loving them anyway. And, 
and then going to bowling tournaments with his boy, because that's really more the boy's speed. <laughs> and just great. This child has a life that he never could have imagined. And it wouldn't be until he's older until he realized the perspective of it, but he's not growing up in some poor farm in, in the middle of, of Korea, but is here and, and has a life and, and has opportunity in America. And so he's growing. And, and then all of a sudden, one day, sophomore year in high school, a friend picks him up from school and says, we think your father just died. He comes home and finds his dad lying in his bed, lifeless, 14 years old, start of sophomore year in high school. God, why, why would you bring me all the way through this process only to take my father away from me right when I need him the most, right when I need someone to teach me how to talk to a girl, how to plan for college, how to use money, how to, how to be a man, how to drive. Right in the middle of that, God, you take him away. This right here is the season of death. may not be a literal death, maybe figurative, but this is where what started out with so much promise, so much potential, you're holding it lifeless in your arms. A marriage that's hanging on by a thread. A relationship with a child that you don't know what's going to happen. And where is God in that moment? There's a couple of things I want us to get about this, this point right here. Is, is that, it's real important, this is real important for us to understand. I really want us to get this. What's, what's a blessing in one season will often be the source of pain and bitterness in another season. That what was a blessing in one season, the very same thing can be a source of bitterness in another season. The very same relationship, the very same child, the very same job, the very same thing, that when this season, man, it's, it's awesome, look what God's done for me, the very same thing can be the source of your bitterness in another season. But that does not mean it is not a blessing. But it's all about how we look at it. You look, this is the process of Scripture. Abraham and Isaac. God gives Abraham Isaac. And then Isaac grows up and God says, wait, you're going to have to sacrifice him. Very same child. God gives Joseph a dream. Hey, you're going to be a ruler. And Joseph tells his dream. And, and he, you know, he's, he's got his dream. And then all of a sudden he's sold to slavery and spends years in prison for crimes he didn't commit. Very same dream. That was a blessing in one season. It was a source of pain and bitterness. And in those seasons, this is really important for us to understand because when we get into this position here, when we get in this season of death, we have two tendencies. We either want to give up and go back to before the birth happened and say, I'm, I'm done. Forget this family. Forget these kids. Forget this job. Forget this faith. I don't understand this, so I'm out. I'm done. Or we just say, I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to resign myself. This is as good as it's going to get. This is where I'm at. This is as good as it's ever going to be. And I'm just, this is all that, all that there is for me. And I give up and I resign. So our, our tendency is either we want to retreat or we just want to resign to where we're at. But I believe God has something better for us. I believe God has something more for us. Let's see what the Shunan woman did. She says in verse 22, send a messenger to her husband 
So she sent a messenger to her husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. In the midst of her being in this season of death, in this valley of death, in this dip, she says, I'm going to find the presence of God. I'm going to go to the presence of God. And then in verse 27, it says, When she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi, Elisha's servant, began to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. The woman from Schumann, the church, listen to this. The woman from Schumann, in the midst of her pain, in the midst of when things did not make sense, in the midst of when she wanted to give up, in the midst of when she could have retreated or when she could have resigned, in the midst of when God was not operating like she thought he was supposed to, her response was to go and find the man of God and to grab a hold of his feet and not let go until she got answers. And I want to tell you, church, when you're going through it, when God doesn't make sense, when things are going falling apart on you when you're in the valley of death your only real recourse is to grab a hold of the feet of God and say God no matter what I am not letting go of you God no matter what I'm going to grab a hold of you and I'm not letting go for nothing for no how because God you're the one I need God you're the answer and I'm grabbing a hold of you and I am not letting go and we see her tenacity in this and verses 29 and 30 Elisha tries to shoo away he says he says to his servant, get ready to travel, take my staff, don't take anything else along the way, go lay the staff on the child's face. But the boy's mom said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I'm not going anywhere unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with her. Darn right he returned with her. God, I'm not going anywhere unless you go with me. God, I'm grabbing a hold of you, God, and you and I are doing business until I'm out of this thing. God, you're, you and I, I'm not going anywhere, God until I grab a hold of you. When we were giving birth, or when my wife was giving birth to our youngest, uh, Andrew, man, and my wife's a rock star. Ten and a half pound baby boy, au natural. Man, she, I remember when she was in transition, when she was here, she wanted to give up when she couldn't do it anymore, and she was saying, you've got to give me the meds, you've got to give me the drugs. It was too late, we couldn't, we couldn't give it to her. And I looked at her with as much love and tenderness and compassion that I could. <laughs> And I said, honey, right now the only way out is through. Some of you right here, you're, you're here and your temptation is you want to give up, you want to resign. But I'm telling you right now, church, the only way out for you is through. And the only way you're getting through it is you're grabbing a hold of the feet of Jesus. You're saying, I'm not letting go of you, God. I'm not letting go of you, God. No matter what, I am not letting go of you, God, because the enemy wants to take you. He wants to take you to retreat. He wants to take you to resignation. But I believe, I believe that our God wants to take you from a place of resignation, and he wants to take you to a place of resurrection. He wants to take you to a place of resurrection, church. Because the end of the story is this. They... Elisha comes and he prays for the child and that child doesn't revive. He prays again and prays again and finally the child sneezes and life is restored to that child. And I want to tell you this morning, church, I want to tell you your resurrection could be just around the corner. 
Your resurrection could be just moments away. You could be moments away from your resurrection moment, but you cannot give up on God. You cannot give up on him. You have to grab a hold of him and don't let him go. That God wants to bring you to a place of resurrection. He wants to bring you out of resignation to a place of resurrection, but you have to grab a hold of him and you can't let go of him because that's what our God is and that's what God does. And why does he operate this way? Why does he do this? This very simple church, the reason why God operates this way is because this is the story of Jesus. This is the story of Jesus, that he was born, that he grew, and that he came for a people that would eventually crucify him. The people that he came for were the ones that that falsely accused him of crimes he didn't commit. Under the cover of night, in an illegal gathering, said, give us the thief. They crucified him and put him to death. But our God is a God of resurrection. Our God is a God of resurrection. And church, the reason why you're going through it right now, the reason why you're in this place of death is because God doesn't want to leave you this way, but he wants to raise you to life again, not your own life, not so you can look like you anymore, but so that you can look like the image of his son, Jesus, because Jesus is the one that's going to get you through this. So no matter what you're going through right now, church, no matter what the doctor said, no matter what your finances say, no matter what you're going through right now, I believe God's brought you here because he wants to restore hope in you. He wants to restore life in you. He wants to restore. He's not going to leave you in a place of death, church. He's going to take you to a place of resurrection. He's going to take you to a place of new life. He's going to take you to a place of new hope. But you've got to grab hold. You've got to grab hold of him. And you can't let go for nothing, for no one, for no how. He's going to make you over because this is our God. This is our God. He's a God of resurrection. He's a God of resurrection. Come on, let's sing it out. Your praise will rise And we worship your name. God of hope,
our God, the resurrected King. He's resurrecting us. In Jesus' name, I pray right now that hope is restored. In Jesus' name, I pray that tenacity is restored, that life is restored. Right now, in Jesus' name, I pray that every person going through the dip, every person going through the valley of death would grab a hold of you. Even, God, if it's just your ankle, even if it's just a little bit, God, we grab a hold of you, God, because we know ultimately our only hope is in you, God. Our only trust is in you. Our only salvation is in you, God. And you're not going to abandon us. You're not going to leave us alone, God. You're not going to leave us to be, but God, you're making us over in the image of your son. You're making us over, and you are the God of the resurrection. So Jesus, we give it to you. We give it to you. We give it to you, God. We're not going anywhere without you. We're not going anywhere without you, God. And we believe, we believe you're going to lead us through. And that's what we're going to do, God, when things don't make sense. That's what we're going to do, God, when it doesn't add up, God, when you don't operate by our rules, God. We're going to grab a hold of you and we're not going to let go. Because you are bringing us to life again. I want to pray for you if you're here in this place and you're not a Christ follower. I want you to know that God loves you. He brought you here for this, this moment right now. That you would know that, that he loves you and he has not forgotten you. He has not given up on you. And he wants to give you new life. He wants to start you on that process of birth. Where the, the things that you, you feel like you're always screwing up. The things where you, you don't feel like you measure up. Where you feel like you're not good enough. I want to tell you, God wants to show you his love for you. He wants to extend his grace and his mercy to you. It just starts with saying, Jesus, I know I'm messed up. I know I'm a sinner. I know I can never do the right thing. But God, I look to you in this moment. I look to you in this time. So if you're here and that's your prayer today, I just, I just want you to pray in your heart. I'm going to pray and just kind of agree with me or begin to talk to God in your own way right now. and Just pray something along these lines. God, I thank you for bringing me here. And I know, I know God, that I keep messing up. I know I keep falling short. I know I'll never amount to what I'm supposed to be, God. But I thank you, God, that it's your grace, and God, that you sent your son Jesus to take my place, that he paid the price that I could never pay. God, I don't know what all of it means to follow you yet, God. I don't, I don't understand it all, God, but, but there's something inside of me, God, that says, I want this. I'm willing to give everything else up to find this truth. So right now, God, I just I give my life to you the best I know how. God, that you could have your way with me and you could just make me over and you're going to lead me through ups and downs, God, but I know you're never going to give up on me. I thank you, God, for bringing me into this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Court Church, can we just celebrate what God's doing here in this place? Let's change lives.